It's interesting, when I was sitting there listening to the reading, I became, I became conscious of the pronouns. Listen. A human being is part of the whole, called by us, universe, a part limited in time and space. He experiences himself, his thoughts and feelings, as something separated from the rest. Isn't it interesting how we've become conscious of how language can separate us? How the choice of a pronoun can separate us? To understand that, it takes empathy. It takes empathy to realize that when some people hear the word he, they feel excluded. Several years ago, I read a story in the Washington Post about a barber in Quebec who learned to give haircuts to children with autism. Now, for some people with autism, getting a haircut can be very difficult. They can get distressed by the feel of someone's hand in their hair, or hair falling on their face, or even the sound of the scissors. And somehow, Francis Jacob figured out how to make it work. It began when a mother brought her four-year-old son to, to his shop and it kind of explained the situation. The boy's name was Wayne. Now, Francis had had no experience with this. He had none at all, but he decided just to roll with it. And so he just sort of let Wayne take the lead. First, they ate candy together, and then they played some music. They put some music on. And then for a little while, they just walked around the barbershop together, just sort of chatting. And eventually, Wayne trusted Francis enough to let him cut his hair, and it all went fine. And soon other parents heard about this, and they were bringing their children to him as well. When I first read this story, I knew I would use it in a sermon someday. That is one of the risks of being a minister. You're always on the lookout for sermon fodder. But I knew this was a beautiful story. And so I figured someday I'll preach a sermon on compassion and use this, this story. Because this is a beautiful story of compassion, isn't it? But it's more than that. It's also a story of empathy. Francis was able to respond to Wayne's needs because he was willing to learn how, how Wayne experienced the world. And that's empathy. And the strange thing is, empathy is often seen as sort of a paler version of compassion, isn't it? And some people find it downright suspect. A few years ago, there was a book called Against Empathy, and it got a lot of attention, and the author was on NPR and all sorts of places. And actually, in part, it was that book that got me thinking and reading about empathy. And in the process, I've come to see empathy in a totally different light. I've come to see empathy as a fundamental tool in our ability to connect with others and to connect with ourselves. More than that, it can be a profound spiritual practice that can help us thrive, not just as individuals but as faith communities. That's what I want to talk about today. But first, we need to do some definitions. 
Let's talk about the difference between compassion and empathy. So compassion is related specifically to suffering. The word compassion means to suffer with. If you've heard the phrase, the passion of Christ, that is the suffering of Christ. So suffering with, when we feel compassion, it means that we see someone suffering, we, we feel that suffering, and we wish to respond. So that's compassion. Empathy, on the other hand, is the ability to connect with how other people think and feel, not necessarily tied to compassion, but just be able to kind of understand how they see the world and how they experience the world. Here's a more kind of extensive definition from Carla McLaren, who wrote a book called The The Art of Empathy. She says, empathy is a social and emotional skill that helps us feel and understand the emotions, circumstances, intentions, thoughts, and needs of others, such that we can offer sensitive, perceptive, and appropriate communication and support. Really, the shoes. That's... You know, the, 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 the story about the shoes, that was my sermon. I feel kind of, I don't even know what to say. It's like it nailed it perfectly. That's what it's about. But anyway, she says that we, we could call empathy the social and emotional glue that helps us create and maintain our relationships. Now, one of the knocks against empathy is that it's a social and emotional skill that can be used in different ways. We might use it to offer appropriate communication and support, or we might use it to manipulate people, especially those who are vulnerable. You hear this all the time in the news, where especially elderly people who live alone who get to fall to scams because someone empathizes with them, and they use that connection to manipulate them. And that is really true. Empathy can be used in either a positive or negative way. But that doesn't change the fact that empathy is essential to our well-being. This has actually been studied extensively in children. They found that baby, even babies and children are more likely to thrive if they sense that their caregivers connect with them if their caregivers recognize and respond to their emotional states, what's sometimes called emotional resonance. And if children don't, don't sense that emotional resonance, resonance, they can feel insecure, and they can have a hard time trusting and loving others. But it's not just true with children. The need for empathy is lifelong. There was this wonderful study a few years back, probably about 10 years back now, that found that when we're in a relationship, we are continually making uh, what, what are called bids for attention or bids for affection. That is, we create openings for the other person to respond to us, respond with love, respond with concern. For example, we might come home and just say, wow, what a day I've had. Or if we're sitting at the dinner table, we might mention an article that we read that we found interesting. Or if we're sitting on the couch after dinner, we might just give a sigh. We all do this. We do this instinctively, and we do it all the time. And researchers have found that the practice of making and responding to bids for, 
responding to bids for attention is essential to the health of a relationship. In fact, the study found that whether a couple makes and responds to bids for attention is the best indicator of whether that relationship will last or not. It's about empathy. And for me, it all comes down to the experience of feeling felt. That's a term coined by Dan Siegel, who's a psychiatrist and researcher. He says to feel felt is a gut-level experience of connection. We feel felt when we we sense that someone sees us for who we are, really sees us, sees our, our authentic selves, and accepts us without judgment. To feel felt is to see our own beauty reflected back to us in the face of another person, to see ourselves as someone worthy of attention, worthy of affection. And it's this experience of feeling felt that makes it possible for for us to let down our defenses and to connect with other people, to open ourselves to others and to listen to others in an authentic way. And that's why I believe that empathy can be a powerful spiritual practice. James Luther Adams, who was a prominent Unitarian Universalist minister in the 20th century, he said that church is a place where you get to practice what it means to be human. Again, church is a place where we get to practice what it means to be human. And I believe that empathy is at the heart of that practice. When we come together in a faith community, we create a place where we can share with each other, (coughs) where we can learn from one another, a place where we can all discover our own beauty. And of course, this is most obvious when we get together in small groups, when we have that time to form bonds and to really build trust. But there are many ways that we can extend empathy to one another in the context of a community. And one of, the most important, one of the most important ways is just to listen to one another. We can ask open-ended questions and really listen to the answer. <coughs> Excuse me. Giving the other person our full attention and a loving, receptive presence. Basically make that person feel felt. And we can do this even if it's only for, during a short conversation, during fellowship hour. It sounds intense, but it's a beautiful practice. I actually did an experiment with this at work last year. For several days, I made a special effort to stop people in the hall and make small talk. And while making small talk, I practiced loving presence. I smiled. I made eye contact. And I really gave them my full attention. And what a blast it was. When people realized that they had my full attention, it changed them. Their their face would relax. Their eyes would light up. They would smile. And I felt it too. I felt a sense of connection that just lightened my heart. And it was a sense of connection that actually ended up lasting beyond that experiment. Somehow, just doing these brief conversations, I formed bonds with people that I never would have otherwise. Of course, it's not an easy practice in a workplace, and it's not always practical. But in a faith community, it's essential. 
One of the benefits of practicing empathy in a faith community is that we see our common humanity. We all have stories. You get glimpses of those stories during the sharing of joys and sorrows. Stories of joys and sorrows of love and loss. Struggles that are both mundane and profound. Most of the time, in other places, we keep these stories to ourselves, which can leave us feeling sometimes disconnected and isolated, especially when we're struggling. But when we find a place where we can share our stories, where we can risk letting ourselves be vulnerable, we often realize that we are not as alone as we had thought. The stories of others might be different in detail, but they resonate in the felt experience of joy and sorrow. And it's that felt experience, that emotional dimension, that helps us connect with others. Now, this brings up another knock against empathy. Earlier, I mentioned the book Against Empathy. In this book, Paul Bloom argues that empathy can actually cultivate bias. He says that we empathize more easily with people who are like us, which can lead us to discriminate against people who are not. And studies have shown that to a point, he is right. That tendency is there. But when we, when we come at empathy as an intentional practice, as a spiritual practice, we can counter that tendency. In fact, empathy provides a way for us to bring difference to light and to honor it. You know, going through life without thinking, we often assume that other people experience the world the way we do. Empathy helps us to question those assumptions. It opens us to different perspectives shaped by different experiences. That's just what we heard about in the story with the shoes. When we stop to think and try to imagine, even if we have trouble imagining, it helps us to kind of question our assumptions. Is this person really, was their experience really like mine? What are they going through? Rowan Williams, the former Archbishop of Canterbury, talked about this in a lecture on empathy. He said that it's not always appropriate to to say, I understand what you are going through. Sometimes we need to say, I don't understand what you're going through. In some cases, we connect with one another only when we acknowledge those differences and work toward mutual understanding. This perspective, this recognition of difference, can bring a new dimension to our work for social justice. Whenever we work with people who experience oppression or marginalization, we're likely acting out of, out of a sense of compassion, right? We see their suffering and we wish to relieve it. And that's all for the good. But in doing that work, we might also practice empathy. We might try to understand their felt experiences, understand how these people see the world. And this is especially important if we haven't had similar experience ourselves. This last week, uh, UCF uh, had, was um, serving as a hypothermia shelter. And on Wednesday, I went to offer the dinner blessing and to eat with our guests. 
and I had written this sermon. And when I was there and sitting at the table, I realized, yeah, this is what I was, was talking about. I think in the past, I've had a tendency to be there to, you know, offer my presence, to be with people, but I hadn't really connected with the guests. I hadn't really offered my presence to them in that very real way. And so this last Wednesday evening, I sat there at the dinner table and I listened. I just listened and I tried to hear kind of what I had two people I was sitting with who I could talk to and just hear what their lives were like. Not as people who needed my help, but as fellow human beings with whom I could connect. It was a beautiful experience. That's an example of how empathy can invites us both to honor our common humanity, our shared humanity, and the diversity of our experiences. And in the process, to connect with each other more deeply and become more effective allies. Connect with each other deeply and in the process become more effective allies. In the reading we heard earlier from Albert Einstein, he says that our task is to free ourselves from the prison of separateness by widening our circle of compassion. I believe that this is the greatest gift of our tradition. It calls us to widen our circle of compassion, to extend love beyond the borders of the map and beyond the borders of our imagination. I believe that empathy helps us do that. When we practice empathy in this way, we open ourselves to being transformed, transformed by taking our rightful place in the larger community of the human race. When we offer empathy to each other, it's a way of saying welcome to the human race. Welcome to the human race. Einstein said that nobody is able to achieve this completely. But the striving for such achievement is in itself a part of the liberation. May that be so. Amen.